Hello and welcome to this, the eighth episode of the Rise Productions Irish Theatre Podcast. I am your host, Angus O. McAnally, Artistic Director of Rise Productions, a freelance actor, more recently a director and producer here at Rise. I'm a 15-year veteran of the Irish theatre scene and I'm a third-generation theatre maker. And this week we are not coming to you live from our studios at the Irish Theatre Institute in Dublin's cultural quarter of Temple Bar. We are in fact coming to you live from Rise Towers, uh, the home of Rise Productions where we make it all happen. Um, the good folks at Irish Theatre Institute have shut up shop for the Christmas so we, uh, we're bringing it to you from, uh, from where it all started um, also we should be bringing this week's interview to you not from our studios or from Rise Towers but from our brand new shiny outside broadcast unit um, our wonderful roadcaster and you will hear our guest later on reference that and just if anybody mentions to you that our brand new shiny outside broadcast unit looks remarkably similar to my car don't believe those people. They are liars, they are cheats, and they are evil, evil people who throw stones at babies. So you should not listen to them, because um, that is definitely not what it is. Uh, okay, as ever, we bring you this podcast absolutely free of charge. We promise that we'll never charge you for these interviews, but we are looking for you to put your money into Irish theatre if you can. Go out there and buy some theatre tickets, whether that's top price tickets or concession tickets at more fringe venues, or whether it's just throwing a few bob to a theatre company raising funds on fundit.ie or one of the crowdsourcing websites go out there and do that there are of course ways you can support without putting your hand in your pocket and um, tell people about this podcast in person or over a cup of coffee share the link to this podcast on facebook or retweet it on twitter um, go on over to itunes and subscribe to the podcast that's the easiest way to get it all done go back and listen back to the other episodes we have there leave us a review if you have a minute or if you're tight on time just click to rate us if you can click on five stars obviously that helps us in the search engines and ratings over there you can follow us rise productions on facebook we're at facebook.com forward slash Rise Productions Ireland or you can follow us on Twitter we're at Rise Ireland on Twitter and so here we are for the last podcast of the year and what an exceptional year it has been for us here at Rise Productions um, apart from the success of this podcast which is going from strength to strength and uh, as you may have seen uh, us posting about on uh, Facebook and on Twitter over the Christmas the, the Christmas Day iPod iTunes chart of podcasts we had two entries inside the top 10 and a further three inside the top 20, so five entries inside the top 20 overall, which is terrifying and brilliant and amazing and just remarkable. Um, this podcast is going from strength to strength. People are really into it. People are listening to it. Uh, and I think it's given people a nice flavor of what's going on in the business at the moment. And, you know, we're delighted to be able to do that for people. And so we ask that you keep spreading the word on it and, and getting the links out there and, and letting people know what we're doing. Um, so, yeah, the podcast has obviously been a big part of, of what we've been doing this year, but also a huge part of it was was Fight Night, which was our, our first production from from last year, which we kind of took on and grew this year. Um, Fight Night went and had its its big, you know, summer run at Bewley's, where it was due to play for five weeks, but brilliantly because of of the demand, we managed to extend it out for a, a sixth week. So we had that big six week run. Um, RTE then went on and, and commissioned and broadcast uh, a reimagining of Fight Night as a radio play which myself and Brian Burroughs uh, worked on taking Gavin Costick's original script and keeping it word for word but we went and, and totally reimagined the play for, for what it could be as a radio show which was a brilliant experience for us and uh, I think is a really interesting slant on the play because like I said it's still there word for word what Gavin put down on the page but it's, it's a very very different show and there are many elements of that radio play that I would love to incorporate into the stage version of it and I know that technically we could but it just doesn't fit. It's a separate medium, and and it's not the story we're telling with the with the live stage show. So uh, 
they're just there as special moments for the for the radio version and that's still there on the on the RTE website you can check it out the link is there in our news section on, on the Fight Night website fightnight.ie so you can go and check that out if you haven't gone to listen to it um, also this year saw the, uh, the the crazy Fight Night tour where we did a full nationwide tour 25 dates 18 venues in 15 counties across all four provinces um, including that big week at the Dublin Theatre Festival which if you think that you know a year previously Rise Productions technically didn't exist or certainly hadn't put any any shows out in front of an audience before, uh, to have made it in in such a short period of time to the biggest stage of all was pretty remarkable. And and you know myself and Brian Malarkey here, my partner in crime at Rise, we are we're blown away by by how much we've managed to achieve in in the first uh, well just a little over a year. It's been it's been really crazy for us, and, and Fight Night's been very good to us. So we, you know, we we want to send our thanks out to everyone who made that happen. Um, everyone involved in the original Show in a Bag project, um, the people at Fishamble, the people at the Dublin Fringe Festival, uh, and also the people at the Irish Theatre Institute. Their help has been invaluable, getting us to where we are today, and, and we're eternally grateful to to them for that. Um, and also to to the Lisa Richards Agency who co-produced the tour with us. Um, their help was brilliant, just getting us into all those venues and, and negotiating all the hassle. Um, they were a huge help in, in co-producing that for us. I mean, also this year we had our show, a second show at the Theatre Festival. Not content with having one, we we kind of co-created and directed the Tear Down the Walls show, um, uh, which was run by Project Brand New uh, at the festival, where we had the brilliant Keith Hanna. Uh, and Terry Orr in as our two performers in that which was a kind of an audio visual installation theatre piece as well which was a great experience for us and nice to kind of stretch our boundaries a bit because obviously with Fight Night being as stripped back uh, as it is nice to get a bit high tech and, and work in some audio visual stuff in there and then also we had our contribution to the text messages festival where I got to go and grapple with Shakespeare for the first time as a director and uh you know, it's just, it's been a really busy year for us, uh, a very rewarding year for us, and a nice platform, we feel, to go and tackle uh, 2012. We've got an awful lot of exciting plans for 2012, not all of which we can talk about just yet, um, but there's an awful lot of very exciting stuff in the making, so hopefully we'll be up for it. Um, okay, that's enough yakking from me, let's get straight into this. Um, this week's guest is not only a good mate of mine in the business, but also, and I don't mind saying it, my hero, um, Aidan Kelly took me under his wing in the early days uh, of my career. I wasn't long out of college, uh, out of drama school, when I landed the gig at in The Play on the Stars at the Abbey, where Ada was playing Jack Lithrow. And uh, he was a really great guy to me, uh, a superb actor. And we had the chance to go on and work together quite a few times afterwards. Um, we worked on the Scottish play with Second Age, which you'll hear us talk about briefly in the interview. Um, but also something we just didn't even mention in the interview is that um, we shot a movie together. He played my uncle uh, in a movie with Owen Rowe and Rory Keenan and Gemma Reeves. And uh, I, I've just, I've so much time for the guy. He is so passionate about the business, so driven uh, and ambitious and a really talented guy, a wonderful guy to have in any cast and, and great crack. Um, but also really, really dedicated to the art and really, really dedicated to the work and is just a really positive influence to have in any rehearsal room or in any production. I love the guy. I can't speak highly enough about him. Um, so let's hear what he has to say for himself. This is today's interview with Aidan Kelly. Aidan Kelly, thank you so much for taking a bit of time out of your Christmas holiday to come and talk to me. You are very welcome. <laughs> I am absolutely delighted. Um, right, we do this every week. Let's get back to the very beginning. When did you decide you wanted to work in the business? How did you decide? Was there a defining moment? Was When did the light bulb go for you? Well, I suppose it's one of those things, isn't it? It's, it doesn't really kind of hit you like a bolt of lightning. You kind of find yourself one day, 
in a theatre with a little bit of makeup on you <laughs> in, in bits of costume and you uh, standing in front of people and you go I guess I'm here now I guess <laughs> this is it I suppose I've made some kind of decision to bring myself to this point um, I was I was kind of lucky when I was very young I was um, in a I went in primary school they put me in a in a uh, in a group called by, run by a woman called Daphne Felton now I think people in South Dublin might know who she is this is going back if I cast my mind back Angus all of those years ago um, second class first class and second class I think it was and uh, they used to put us in feshes and we used to do little plays um, and I remember one of the plays was called um, Bad Day at, at Black Frog Creek and I played an Australian character well he was Australian because he had the big hat on with the cork thing <laughs> okay. and he was called Filthy Frank right and it was an all boys primary school uh, St John's Boys School in Ballybrack and um, uh, my main rival at the time was a guy called Noel McAy Noel McHugh but he goes with the name Noel McAy now and he was Diamond Tooth Lil that was the part to have and he had that part and I had Filthy Frank but I remember having a fight with him backstage with the Dunleary Fesh and him kicking me with his high heels his pointy high heels and you see you can't beat that you know what I mean so I got kicked in the shins with his pointy high heels but anyway that was um, I remember and that was that it play. you were bitten by the bug well I was kicked by <laughs> pointy high heels I'll put it that way but I thought well okay so I did that anyway and that was that um, and I enjoyed doing that and I guess I never really gave it a second thought until my mother uh, had, a, had a great friend who she grew up with and her name was Lorraine O'Brien now Lorraine decided she was going to set up a youth theatre in Bray. Uh, there hadn't been one there before. I think there was a private school or something, and, but there was no youth theatre for kids who wanted to get involved. And she was looking for members, and she said to me, "Mother, get your son Aiden to go." And I said, "No." And she says, "You're going because she's my friend, and you have to go." Okay. So I said, "All right, okay." So I dragged along a friend of mine as well. And, two of us went and that was the first we went to the very first meeting of the Bray Youth Theatre which became known as Dry Rain Youth yeah. Theatre which became a bit of a noise actually as regards the in the in the youth theatre movement I suppose um, and we uh, we used to meet up every Saturday and do our thing and um, you know play games I suppose they're just games really aren't they and, and then they put on a play which I wasn't in they wouldn't put me in it because I, I had defected up to the, the amateur group up the road called Square One and they decided they wanted to put me in a in a play called Our Town by Thornton Wilder and um, they were looking for a young lad at the time so I was up the road doing that turning me coat and um, <laughs> they were all doing this play called Joyriders and, but I think everyone started to get kind of serious about it then because everyone thought well we can go on stage and we can do stuff here um, and we all started to become quite involved I and mean, we were all of an age as well you know and uh and then, very luckily, they, they, Lorraine, because Lorraine O'Brien was a real mover and shaker. She loved just the idea of it. And so she almost set it up as a business then. She got a, a she organised it as a, as, a, as a, I think they're called a CE scheme. So she oh, got yeah. people to come in, adults who, and, and to work for the youth theatre. Um, she moved it to a premises called, uh, on Lar, it was called, down the Dargla Road. Um, and it was an old theatre. Back in its day, it had been a church and then it had been a theatre. It had been loads of things yeah. over its history. But suddenly it was a theatre again. It was a small, it was like a 60, 70 seat theatre. Uh, but it meant we had our own theatre. And what it meant was, we were all of an age then, say maybe about 17, 18, we were leaving school. 
Some of us were going on to college. Some of us weren't. Some of us decided they'd get involved in the CE scheme. She set up a youth theatre, a children's theatre, where, where a lot of the members joined up and, and actually got paid for, for doing children's theatre. Yeah. Um, again, I wasn't part of that. They would never get me involved in this. I kind of think back and think, well, maybe somebody was trying to tell me something. Anyway, <laughs> um, but we, we, we had our own theatre there. And what it meant was we came up with an idea for a play whether it was something we did ourselves or or devised or one of us wrote or a play that we just liked one of us liked and we said right someone's is going to direct it someone's is going to be in it we'll stage manage it ourselves we'll do the box office we'll do everything we'll design the costumes we'll make the sets and we basically had our own work in theatre and we did this for for about two or three years I guess Uh, and I think because I didn't go to college, I didn't go to um, um, Trinity or Gaiety or any of those things. But I do have a problem when people say, uh, "What did you do? Did you train?" No, I didn't train. Because that makes it sound as if I was just born naturally, yeah. amazingly brilliant and talented, and I didn't have to do anything. But I trained. I just trained in youth theatre, and I trained in this thing of making theatre in this little building in Bray that we. Uh, we all had the opportunity to do it. And so I guess I did that. And I was in college. I was doing animation in college. Wow. In Dunleary. And uh, about six months in, I was doing a script writing course. And I wasn't happy because there's 24 drawings for every second. And, you know, it's slow. And it's and it's so different from theatre where you just kind of say, I'm, I'm going to, you know, you could have a scene down in an hour. or You know? Yeah. So uh, you'd spend weeks, months maybe getting a scene drawn. In animation, and I had no patience for it. But I remember script, uh, the script writing tutor saying, "He says uh, an animator basically is an inhibited actor." Wow! Because you have to act through your drawings. You know, you have to give them the, the characteristics and the, the foibles and all the little ticks that make the characters what they are. And that's uh, you, when you draw that. That's what you do as an actor as well, I suppose. You know. So I thought, well, you know, I'm not that inhibited. So I thought, flip it. I'll go for it. So I walked out of college that day and uh, I walked down to Dunleary, which we can see from the, uh, from the car here as we look over Sandy Mount Strand. Um, and I walked down, there was a, a theatre there called the New Gasworks Theatre. Now, uh, I won't mention any names. <laughs> I don't know if I should say <laughs> this. Um, but it was a bit of a dodgy affair and uh, the people know who they are. And uh, Anyway, I went in and I they needed a stage manager. So... Um, I said, oh, here, I'll do that for you. Um, but when they weren't doing plays, they were in the old Dominican convent. When they weren't doing plays, um, they were robbing the copper. Sorry? Yeah, from the building. <laughs> and they were taking the copper in into town and they were uh, selling it. And maybe some of that filtered into costumes or props. I don't know. Wow. <laughs> or maybe not. The people know who they are. I'll say no more. Um, and... Uh, so this play, the, the play went on and, and they did all that. And I got the, 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 the crime racket wasn't funding, you know, drugs traffic, it was funding theatre production. Was, yeah, was, That's amazing. It was drama traffic. <laughs> but they, uh, uh, I, I got the Equity Grapevine number, which was a big oh, yeah. thing at the time, because yeah. you had to be a member of Equity and you had to have the phone number. The yeah. phone number told you what jobs were on. And I remember kind of overhearing the number from someone thinking, right, that's why I was here. And I picked up the phone and I rang and I, and I listened to what jobs were on. And I got an audition for something 
And then, like I said, suddenly one day I was standing on the stage and I went, I guess I'm here now. I guess that's kind of how I got involved. That's amazing. So do you, is there one show that you kind of see as your big break? Was it, because uh, you spent some time on Fair City. Was that early on as well? Yeah, that was very early on. That was, um, yeah, I suppose that was a couple of years into me starting out. And, um, it was kind of mental because I, I, uh, I, 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 they asked me to play an English guy and I just said yeah and I kind of thought what did you say that for <laughs> I, I was a, it's a really good thing to have when you're young where you just kind of go yeah I'll do that yeah what do, yeah sh- yeah I'll do that I just said yes to everything and I thought how am I going to get away with doing an English guy on an Irish TV and they were very kind they gave me £60 towards a, a voice coach Um so I went to the pub and I watched EastEnders. <laughs> <laughs> so, Excellent. That's 60 quid well spent. It was, yeah. Um, so uh, I could say, Ricky, the baby! <laughs> but I couldn't really say anything else. And I just went on and did it and I got off. I remember one of the directors, an English guy, saying, oh, you're playing an Australian. And I went, uh, no. Uh, but it was um, it was a real learning experience. And it really, it's great. It takes the glamour out of acting. You know, when you're sitting in that RTE canteen, and you just everyone's walking around with you know tissue around their collars because they're got their makeup on, and it's just and it's just everyone's kind of getting on with it and mucking in, and it's just a job. And yeah. it's it was fine. It was lovely to do, and it's great experience. And I would suggest anyone should do it if they get the chance, regardless of, of whatever they think of soaps in yeah. general, or because it's camera experience and oftentimes you get on stage and you do a or get, get in front of a camera and you'll do something and you won't see it for a year if you're lucky you won't see it for, and you kind of look and go ah, I should have done this or I yeah. should have done that whereas something like Fair City that I don't know what it is now at the time I think it was twice a week and now I think it's like what 14 yeah, episodes yeah. a week or something it's, yeah, it's something like something that. stupid isn't no, it they're, I think they're turning out uh, a full two hours of TV a week which mm. is which is intense film like yeah. a film length you know yeah per week um, per week yeah so um, but twice a week because we actually had the luxury of actually having rehearsals the week would start on a Saturday we would rehearse on a Saturday we would rehearse on a Monday and a Tuesday then we would do outside stuff on a Wednesday and then I think the pub was Thursday morning and then it would be the interiors and then Friday was more stuff so we had time to kind of rehearse it and tease stuff out and, and it wasn't high art no. I'm not so sure. Any performance from you, Ada? Absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, we uh, we had a lovely time doing it, I think. And, and and you could see it. You could do something in early uh, November and you'd be watching it early December and you go, all right, that wasn't very good. Or I could try this next time. Or, yeah. or that was good. And maybe. So I think it's a great experience that way. The only thing I would say is I would suggest for me it was really good that I did I think I started with a week. They gave me a week. Um, and there was a wonderful producer on it. Uh, John. John. Uh, the English. Who was the Northern Irish actor who was in, in The Name of the Father? Uh, John Lynch. Yes. That was the. Sorry. The, 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 he wasn't the producer. Okay. It was the same name. That's, I just, that was my connection. That was As opposed to John, John Lynch, Lynch moonlighting as a producer on Fair City yes, during no, his downtime. This was a different John Lynch. A wonderful man. Um, and he gave me a week. And then he gave me nine weeks. And then he gave me a year contract and then they offered me another contract and at that time for some reason I think a lot of actors find it very difficult to move from the likes of TV into theatre or film or whatever but f- whatever way it worked for me I I was offered um, 
um, Johnny Boyle in the Abbey. Right. Uh, 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 Juno and the Peacock. And, uh, but it clashed with the last week of Fair City. My last week of my year's contract. I'd already decided at that stage I didn't want to do any more. Now, there was people there who were, who were very happy to be there and... Excuse me, and who are still there? Yeah. Um, I, I guess maybe they've got mortgages and 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 that was it, and they, you know. Yeah. But I I was young and I thought to myself I could I could do this for the next twenty years. It maybe. would be very comfortable. Sure. But I thought, no, oh, I need to. I think I need to do other stuff. So anyway, I was lucky that the. Um, I said no. I said no to the contract, but. But the Abbey had said, will you do this? And it was a takeover for us. So it was only two weeks rehearsals. So I jumped in to do it and said, brilliant. But they said, it clashes with your last week of Fair City. Now, I don't know if this happens anymore. I say it happens very rarely. I just called into the production office and I called into John. And he had a, a, a wonderful woman with him there at the time. I, th- I think her name was Teresa. And um, I said, look, explain the situation. And they said... It's cool. We'll let you off your last week. We'll rewrite something to kind of let you out a week early. Really? Yeah. So, uh, so I think as far as my character went, um, I go up the stairs. Brilliant. And I never came back then. That is the classic soap <laughs> exit. <laughs> but as it turns out, my character's back on the telly now. Oh, really? Yeah. I don't know if you watch it. It's it's it's. Uh, my name is Dean Dowling. Yes. I was I was Leo's son. Yes. And now I'm being played by, by a Michael much Sheen. by a much handsomer, ten years younger, maybe even fifteen years younger guy. Um yeah, they just right there they brought in uh, who's from Dublin. Yes. He's not from London anymore. Brilliant. <laughs> exactly the same thing happened to me. I did a brief stint on Ross Naroon and um, left like that in a haze of glory, I'm sure, by strolling upstairs or walking out of a cafe or something. And like that, a couple of years later replaced me with someone much taller, much better looking, much better actor. I mean, oh, Jesus, that hurts. If only they'd replace us with smaller, uglier people, we wouldn't feel so bad. <laughs> it would certainly take the edge off it. Absolutely. So, so talk to me. Um, so you go in to do Juno, big high-profile gig, high-profile party. Well, the it Abbey. was the Abbey. It was the Abbey. Look, it was just the Abbey, and that was it. And I remember going in, and I remember my dad asking me um, at home, and he, my dad be quite. We'd be talking, but it would be just kind of yeah, right, yeah, no, yeah, right, yeah, I don't know. And uh, he says, "What are you doing?" I said, "I'm doing a play." He says, "What's the play?" He says, "Juno and the Peacock." I've heard of that. Who are you playing? I said, I'm playing... Oh, my dad does everything but football. Everything's about right, football. Okay. So when I was doing my leave insert and all, it was like, you know, son, it's grand. Just, it's an empty net. The ball's on the... It's in the six-yard box. Just kick the ball. Just just kick it between the posts. That's all you have to remember. So everything can be reduced to, to football. Like all right. Force. He says, what are you doing? June and the Peacock. He says, uh, who are you playing? I said, a, a character called Johnny Boyle. He says, oh, is he your man with the one arm? I says, yeah. Right, grand. Where are you doing it? Uh, uh, just in the you know, Abbey. Where? I'm doing it in the Abbey. The Abbey? He says, yeah, that's fantastic. I said, look, it's just a place. He says, no, man, it's Wembley. <laughs> and in a way, it kind of is, you know. Of and it certainly it was. It's the, it's where everyone, every Irish actor should aspire to, you know, to play and to be on that stage and to kind of be part of, of that history and that. Tradition and particularly in an O'Casey play, I mean, you can't get it. it's like going to Stratford and doing Shakespeare. Do you yeah. know what I mean? You go to Dublin and you go to the Abbey and you do O'Casey or sing, or, you know what I mean? It's yeah. wonderful, it's brilliant. Well, that's that's where we first met on on Plough at the Abbey. And I, I remember at the time that there was a real sense 
that it was like pulling on the green jersey, like you were out there playing for Ireland, playing you know? for team, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah. And that's like it's a it's a beautiful thing. So, in terms of that, did that kick off more higher profile theatre work for you then at that stage? Ireland's one of them funny countries. You could be doing that one minute, you know, you could be playing in the Abbey one minute, and the next minute, then you're kind of down and. The arse end of <laughs> Kerry, and you're going around in a with a bit of a suitcase, you know, singing for your supper, and people throwing things at you, and you run out of town because you know. Well, I don't know. I I guess this this I it it's a, a career, an Irish th- acting theatre career. I think is a bit of a contradiction in terms. Right. Of, to say career, I mean, there's so many facets to it now, particularly for. I mean, you know this, and I know this is that. You do your theatre and and you'll you'll do your your film. Although I have to say, I always think the film thing here is is very poor. Um, I think they they rely so heavily on on these productions coming in from from outside yeah. and uh, um, that are already cast with the, the main parts and they have these scraps left for Irish actors and 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 they only give them to them because they have to because they won't get the money from the government the tax yeah. breaks. Um, I think it's great for crews. I think obviously the crews do very well out of it. But I think for an Irish actor, I don't think I think it's I think you could make a decision whether you want to be if you want to do your couple of days on some big American production or wherever it might be from, or if you want to uh, be an actor, basically. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? And and I think I made that decision a while ago. Um, and don't get me wrong, there's times I've done days on things and. But I, I I really try not to, right. you know. But there's different facets. There's the theatre and there's the bits of film and there's obviously the telly and then there's the voiceovers. And yeah. We know about that. And and these things are all and that's kind of that's your career as an actor. You you kind of spread yourself over all those things. But I would like to think that my main thrust has always been as a theatre actor. Right. That's where I feel most comfortable in. Yeah. That's where I feel I can. Express myself, or um, I don't mean that in, a, in an arty farty way. I just mean I, I, I can, I, 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 my tools now are well sharpened. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? I can kind of, I know what I'm doing when I go on. I know how to do certain things, and I enjoy doing it. And I, and I feel a real freedom in that. Um, and and in the other stuff like the film, I don't feel that. Okay. And voiceovers, you know yourself, that's that's a gig, <laughs> and a very happy gig. I'm very Absolutely. happy to be doing them. But um, but but certainly the theatre is where it is. It is for me. I enjoy that. Okay, so talking about the theatre, there is one show that sticks out in my head, not only because myself and Paul Reed spoke about it on his episode of the podcast the other day, and not only because it's set in Port Marnock, but the two-hander that you did with Dervla, which I think Gary Hines directed, she did, yeah. uh, called The Good Father, uh-huh. was an exceptional play and a phenomenal performance from, well, I guess from both yourself and, and Dervla. Have you, what are your recollections of that time? Um, it was fraught. It was lovely. It was a, it was a crazy time. We went to um, Galway, myself and Dervla Crotty, and we, uh, did we know each other? I don't think we did. Well, no, Dervla had been on plough. We'd done us. the plough. Yeah. The timelines now I'm never good at. Okay, we'd done the plough. So we did know each other. Um, I had read for something else with Gary in a, in a room and I had auditioned for Gary years before and I remember she'd she'd kind of dismissed me, which I I learned afterwards is not a big deal. It just but at the time when you're very sensitive and young, and this I, is Gary Hines, and, and she just kind of went, ah uh, oh, yeah, that's grand. You can go anyway. Uh, we'll go on. And I remember thinking, oh my god. And I remember saying to my agent, I said, I, I'm never going to I'm never going to audition for her again. I can't do that. I can't subject myself to that kind of. 
you realise after she's, she's not actually being rude to you or anything she's just got other stuff on her mind but anyway if, if you're listening Gary <laughs> but anyway um, so I said uh, so they said look will you go in and read for this and I went oh do I have to and I said well yeah because she's not working I said oh so I went in and I read for this play I can't remember what, I think it was size and uh, I could see it again I could see her eyes glaze over and go no, he's wrong he's wrong on to the next person on to the next and Maureen Hughes was in the room and Maureen was kind of looking and she says so she, Gary says ah look go on thanks bye and I said right so I was gone and uh, Maureen said hey, uh, Gary what about this other thing that you were thinking of doing she says what is it and she'd pull out the script and she says well he hasn't looked at you and I said well look I'll read it cold so he says alright so we sat down and we read it me and her and uh, or myself and Maureen maybe and uh, I think I got the job there and then I think she kind of went alright that's he sounds like he's right for it so anyway um, cut to going down and doing it then in, in Galway and uh, the writer was a guy called Christian O'Reilly um, and I remember we were in the, in the rehearsal room on the first day and Gary says okay let's read the script so we all read it and it was fine and um, she said okay and uh, excuse me and she said come in tomorrow and we'll start uh Dervla, Aidan, Christian and myself so we came in and Tim, the stage manager who's the general manager now right. and uh, we all sat down and Gary says okay, uh, Christian and there was about 12 scenes in the play and she says Christian, we're keeping the first three scenes go home and start again oh and everything good else. Jesus <laughs> so poor Christian he just didn't know where to look and I don't blame him and we didn't know where to look either we were all just sitting there going right so he went home and within four weeks he had done 16 drafts of that play he literally was sent home and just said, that's that's not what we want. Go home and rewrite that. And he would just have to go home and rewrite it. And there was times, I think, that man was close to tears. Wow. Doing it. And there was, we, and you know, when I say we were young, me and Dervlo, there was no, we weren't married, particularly to, to each, each other. other. <laughs> uh, we weren't married to other people. Or we weren't, um, well, I wasn't, actually. I can't speak for Dervlo. But, um, no kids or any that kind of stuff so so we were just in Galway doing the play and we would go in at 10 in the morning and we would rehearse and rehearse and we would get new bits and we would rehearse them and we would tease stuff out with Gary and then we would at the end go come on start come on look we should finish let's go and have a pint and we would leave the rehearsal room and the pubs would be closed good Jesus and then we'd be back in at 10 in the morning and we'd be doing and it would just we just we just it just was so intense and and Gary kept going for something and we couldn't figure out what it was she was going for and and right up until the last preview and you know yourself Irish theatre you get two previews or something yeah. but I think we on the second just before opening night Gary came up to me and said Aidan I've got him to rewrite the ending and I went Gary I can't actually do anymore I can't do it and she says but you, you know I said look we did it last night and it worked she says the adrenaline got you through she said but think yourself three weeks into a run you won't have that adrenaline. What's going to be left? And she said, just please. I went, no, I'm not doing it. And then I said, give me the flipping thing. And I took it and we did it. And it, she was right, it worked. And, and right up to the very last moment of that play, we just kept, you know. And she was working towards, I think, and she understands that very well. It's that emotional journey. Because where that play starts and where it ends, Christian always had in his mind. He knew what he wanted. You know, but she, I think for Christian and for us, plotted it out very well as to how you would, the stepping stones, as how you would get to those points right. and make that happen. And I think 
there was so much effort put into making that journey very clear between those two people and making everything ring true I think that's why that play for a lot of people resounds with them because I think it's like anything great stuff I think can people can see themselves in it or and I think she really plotted that out really really well um, which made it doing it a real joy and uh, tough tough play to yeah. do um, tough to watch as well I think but I think people I think people got it and understood it and, and I think that was a lot to do with Christian but a lot to do with Gary as well yeah that's really interesting right I want to fast forward a little bit because there's a time I have a recollection of uh, where it felt to me that for almost a year straight you were playing every lead role in every part in the Abbey week in week out and I might have heard half a rumour that you were almost put on contract at the time. What was going on then? Um, I was put on contract. I was on contract. Um, I had uh, I had come in to do um, a couple of plays. I don't know what it was. I, I had I had played. Uh, can I say it on 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 iTunes? Um, Macbeth. I can. <laughs> yeah, technically <laughs> we're okay. Technically, you can say it on iTunes. <laughs> um, and with your good self. Yes. We had done it for a, a second age. We had indeed. Um, and Fig had asked me, he says, will you come in and do a play? I said, um, okay. And uh, he wanted me to do True West. With Declan? With Declan Conlon. And he'd asked me to play the, the, the weaker of the two. Because Declan's the bookish type. Not the professorial type, I think you would call him more. Yeah. And, and I'd be that. I usually I, I usually specialise in thugs. <laughs> um, but Chris, uh, 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 Declan uh, was to play the harder brother and I was to play the, the weaker guy. Um, and I said, yeah. I mean, I think Sam Shepard's uh, is fantastic, and I, and I love that play. It's a wonderful yeah. play. And uh, they brought me in, and we did that. And uh, then we were going to do Howie the Rookie again because Fig had taken over, and he said, look, I'm in charge. I get to do all my favorite stuff, and that's one of my favorite plays. Will you do it again? And to me and Carl Shields, so we said, we kind of thought, oh, and so we're a bit old now, but. And Mark promised to, to rewrite stuff, and he never did. Right. So so here's a man, and I mean I mean I was what 34 at the time, but I probably looked like I was 40, and I had like a <laughs> six year old brother, which put the mother somewhere. I don't know where, but anyway, we won't get into that, you know. But um, he uh, he says, will you do that place? So he says, okay. And then he said to me, he said, um, I'd love you to come in and and uh, do a few plays with us. Would you go on contract? So I said, uh, I, th- I thought I'd be delighted. So officially, I became an Abbey player at that point. And, and there's programmes which I've kept, and it has the, all the names at the back and all the staff and all And the Abbey players, there was only two Abbey players left at that time. It was, yes. It was me and Des Cave. So as far as I know, Des Cave is still an Abbey player. No, as, no Des has now officially retired as has an Abbey he? player. So there's no That's more. So there's no, there's so, no but more. But if it ever comes up in a trivia quiz, who, who was the it? second last... Abbey player and they'll go all the think of yeah, all the famous Pat Laughlin or someone like that yeah they'll think of all the big old stalwarts of Irish theatre and it turns out no you're all wrong it's <laughs> Aidan <laughs> Kelly it's Aidan Kelly but um, so uh, but it was funny because we went in there and I don't know I, I don't know how it works but but I thought the plays that we did before I went on contract I, I felt I, I felt you know I just did them as jobs and then when I went in I think the two plays I did under contract there was uh, Doubt Oh yes, of course. The John Patrick Shanley play and uh, Julius Caesar, where I played Mark Anthony, and I felt the pressure on me then. I think 
to have to to be somebody. I don't know to do or something to, or to justify it. the position. Maybe? Yeah, yeah. And I, I, and, and it's funny. I didn't enjoy those plays as much because as soon as those were over, I think I was back in again. Then I was out of contract as such, but I was back in like terminus. Oh yeah, of course. You know, which I which I really enjoyed, and I suppose it's funny. I guess the pressure was off me, but there's there's there was a there was a real blessing to doing it, and a real curse to it as well. I think is that it just it was it felt like pressure. And Fig hasn't brought anyone else in on contract, so I don't think it worked for him either. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Um, well, okay. You've mentioned Howie the rookie and Terminus. There's no way we can get through this without mentioning Marco Rowe who is an exceptional writer and someone with whom you have kind of an ongoing relationship. It would seem that way, wouldn't it? Yeah, I suppose because we started out on... We, well, when I say we started, he'd been writing before. He'd, he'd written lots of things before that. Um, and I had been in, in, in plays. But I suppose, to a certain extent, that play put him on the map. Yeah. Particularly, and put him in, in, in almost in a global scale. That play was done everywhere, and, and anywhere it went, people loved it. And it was it was an amazing play, and just by association, I think I was in it, you know, and and it did well for me, particularly here, I think, um, and and me and Carl did quite well in, in America as well, and, but um, uh, and then Terminus, and I suppose I've done two plays together, but <laughs> but we're good mates as well, you see, right. you know. Um, and I think uh, I think there's a great respect there between the two of us. I think I think he likes me as an actor, and I certainly like him as a writer. I think he's an, an amazing writer, um, uh, and I can't wait to see his next play, whether I'm in it or not. Right. You know, I can't wait because I've seen his films and I love his films, but I really love his plays. Yeah. And I can't wait to see what he does now on the stage the next time. Well, I certainly I remember reading the the screenplay for Intermission before, like maybe a year before it was ever made. And just being blown away by yeah, it, like it was, it was, it was the best yeah. film script I'd ever read. Yeah, you know, yeah, just an great. exceptional piece of writing. He's, uh, I just think he's fab. Now, okay, so speaking about films, um, what was one of the most iconic Irish plays, maybe of the last fifteen years? Um, Eugene's play Eden. When it moved to the film, you took over from the part that Don had originally played. Yeah, yeah. Um, what was that whole process like? What was it like stepping into something that? everybody knew so well and what was the the process of kind of making this new movie like I was probably one of the last people in the world ever to see Eden I think I had run for something like 14 years in the Abbey and the Peacock and, the, and then back to the Abbey and then back to the Peacock and um, on the last matinee of the very last day of, of performance of that play I went in to have a look at it and I thought it was great I thought it was wonderful um, but by the way that's a, that's a little bit of advice I think uh, for every, the best play always to see in the Abbey is the last matinee right because um, everyone's off the guard everyone's going to go, we'll try really hard tonight but today during the matinee we'll just have fun and that makes for a better show yeah. anyway um, uh, I just went in as a job and actor for that audition I had no idea what was going to happen um, I didn't know how it was going to play out I had worked with Declan uh, uh, Declan Rex briefly on the clinic before right. that he had been directing an episode of the clinic that I was in um, and we uh, I just went in and, and the, I, I don't know if I went in and read the first time with Eileen Walsh or if I was a callback with Eileen but I think it became pretty clear early on that that's who they wanted they wanted me and Eileen to do it um, so, so then all of a sudden then you found, I found myself down and, and it was a busy time as well because we were doing two of us were doing Terminus together yeah 
and um, and in the middle then we, we were kind of flying we were flying down to Tullamore <laughs> on a private jet we were, we were going down to Tullamore uh, on a train um, and rehearsing uh, uh, and trying to get the relationship right between them or the non-relationship yeah. um, and then and then near the end of the shoot I was doing a long day's journey into night down in Druid Wow. And I hear I'll give you a story very quickly. I they would I would I would start rehearsals at, at ten in the morning uh, in Galway. We would rehearse until they'd rehearsal six, but I'd rehearsal half five. I went down and got the train to Tullamore. We would shoot from seven at night till seven in the morning. The producer David Collins would put me in the back of the car, drive me to Galway, I would get back to Galway to Salt Hill, I would feed my kids I would go back into rehearsals. I would rehearse till half five, and I did that for a week. I didn't sleep for a week. I was crazy. That Jesus, was crazy. Not, not since Michael J. Fox on the set of Back to the Future, going back and forth to Family Ties. I think has that been done. Is no. that true? That's a, that's so a it's true me story. And Michael J. You were Michael J. Fox. Now you're an exalted company. <laughs> but it was absolute madness. It was madness. But anyway, um, the shoot itself was was wonderful. A great experience. Um, I had never played a lead in a movie before. Um, and I just thought this is this is uh, this is wonderful. Um, the film itself, obviously, was only meant to go on for uh, uh, Paddy's Night, right? Back in I don't know two thousand and nine or something, and, um, and that was all. It was just an RTE film, a one-off film on Paddy's Night, uh, but it had a life. It went on then to do. It did a lot of festivals. I think most films do festivals, but it did the Tribeca Festival, and Eileen won Best Actress at it. So then it got a cinema release in America. And it I, it just seemed to keep moving around and keep doing very well, and and I think that was the strength of the writing. I think it was Eileen as well. She was marvelous in it. Yeah. Um, and I think it was again. It's one of those things. I just it kind of rang true on 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 a certain level. And a lovely film, a lovely experience, and it was nice that I had a bit of a life afterwards. Was there ever any talk with Eileen about stepping into what had been a part created by her sister? I think she'd had that conversation. Right. I mean, you'd have to ask Eileen, I suppose. Yeah. But I mean, she had mentioned it. It was not a case of never mentioned. I think she right, had okay. said, "Look, you know, I spoke to my sister before even accepting the part. Right. Before maybe even auditioning for the part, she may have spoken to her sister. Wow. You know. Um. But I, I I'm, I'm sure, and I, I'm sure I've heard this as well that that it was with her complete blessing. Cool. As well, you know. So. After that, huge run of the Abbey, and it got to the point where you were kind of playing all the biggest parts in all the biggest shows that were happening here you decided to make the move to go across the water to London uh-huh. now that's a move that I guess a lot of people fresh out of drama school tend to make and go this is it I'm going to go and take over the world whereas you chose to do it with much more experience under your belt and much more of a, a kind of a CV built up talk to me about why you chose to make that decision and what it was like trying to do it then um, I felt well you know yourself I mean in this country the way things were and how things were happening we tried to sell our house we couldn't sell it and because we couldn't sell it we couldn't buy a bigger house and all the rest of it and we were everyone was caught up in that big property thing so we said well, what do we do do we stay in this this little first time buyer's house or do we you know and we're a growing family with two kids um, two very young kids or do we try and um, do something else and it just seemed kind of the right thing to do other people may disagree but uh, it seemed like the right thing to do to uh to, to to go to London. I mean, it wasn't that far away. Both of us had family there. Um, so we said, okay, let's go. So uh, off we popped. And uh, London for me is kind of it's. I've had some really great times there, and and but 
oftentimes I found myself coming back here to do work. Right. Because I think particularly the the rewards are greater. I think in in England you you land something big. You know, you land a good part in a TV series. You'll make a few bob. All the rest. Yeah. Um, I'm learning now that to have to have a good theatre career over there, you need a good TV career behind you. Really? Well, they like names. Right. Okay. Know? It's it's the names thing. Um, there is plenty of work, but it depends on what you're willing to take. Okay. As well, uh, theatre pays much better over here, really, in Ireland than it pays in England. Yes, absolutely. Um, I think. Uh, I think I'll always be flitting between the two. I think I would love to just be over there all the time and, or over here all the time or one or the other, but yeah. like, it doesn't seem to be that way. I think it's a case of kind of saying, well, well, we'll take the work where it is and take the good work and uh, take the the good parts and, and, and work with the good people and all the rest. And it's lovely to have done um, uh, nine months with the RSC, uh, which was that finished last October which was a wonderful stretch of time with, with wonderful actors and a wonderful company and, wonderful and a great big institution it's, it, it is an institution but it constantly reinvents itself every time it brings in a new ensemble right? with new directors and new I say new writers it's Shakespeare <laughs> <laughs> but they do bring in new plays as well you know but um, um, <clears throat> new actors and constantly kind of changes all the time and it never if you were dealing with the same people all the time you can imagine what it would be like but it's constantly such a, a pool of people to pick from and that's the thing about 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 the, the, the UK is that it, it does have such a pool that it creates I think uh, it's certainly a more competitive environment but I think what it does is it, it creates a it can be a bit sharper sometimes. Now, I get into trouble for saying that. It can be sharper over there than over here because you've just got to be on your toes and yeah. you can't sit back and you can't you can't expect work to come towards you. And to a certain extent, that was a bit of a shock to me because I had done quite well here and then almost expected that to mean something over there. And it doesn't mean anything. Right. You just literally have to start again, and which is kind of harder, I think, than if you were just out of college and you yeah. went over, because you know you've got it all in front of you. And I had stuff behind me, and I still had to go over and kind of wipe that slate and kind of say, right, I just have to swallow my pride and 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 go for these things and do that. And it's a real lesson, and I think I'm still learning it. You know, yeah. I'm not, I'm not, uh, I'm not there yet, but over there. But you know, I'm happy to keep trying. Yeah. You know, I'm constantly. I, I guess it's the curse of being. I guess it's why we're actors is that we're we've got this terrible blessing and this terrible curse of being really optimistic that it's all gonna it's all gonna work out okay in the end. <laughs> well, there's no, but there is a sense that there's kind of the sense of the lottery ticket to what we do. That one day you'll be doing a show and. Martin Scorsese will miss a flight and will pop in to see the matinee in the Peacock and next thing you know you're Leonardo DiCaprio you know that's it yeah. Um, that, yeah. there does always seem to be that that kind of sense to what we do that yeah. that you never know what's around the corner and terribly realistic as well though I, with, I think we have to be and I think that's the other quality I think it's it's a bunch of contradictions as to what we are and how we do it you know because you do have to you do realise though I think the ones who do see it out and and, 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 and spend uh, uh the years of that, and are in it for the long haul have that optimism and are brutally realistic as well and kind of say well look I mean I get to play all the main parts but I'm a damn fine character actor or I'll yeah. always there's always work for you know for this that and whatever and I may not you know be up there 
been with the most lines on the stage or bloody blah, blah but I can I can I'll be that face that people look at and people go I'm he, he's in loads of things what's, <laughs> his, na- what's his name again yeah. oh um, um no he's your man he was in with, with the other oh, yeah, fella I know yeah he was great in that yeah. <laughs> do you know what I mean and I think yeah. and I think for every lead actor for every one of those people who by look or by crook for every one of those there's, there's, there's 14 yeah that's my number it's okay. a ratio of 1 to 14 okay that's <laughs> 14 scientific. to 1 <laughs> uh, 14 people who, who, who are that who are that face you kind of, oh, yeah. and who put in that job and do that thing and are hired for that reason and, and I, I think that's a good enough reason to stay you know stay yeah. in the business so do you know what's up next for you do you know what you'd like to be doing next are you have you aspirations to direct? Are you going to write a movie, or do you know what what the plan is? Oh, did you not know I was going to run the Abbey in the future? Oh, well, I knew that was definitely <laughs> part of the plan. Did you not know that? <laughs> I haven't made that clear. I haven't revealed that yet. Um, I'd I'd love to direct in the future. Right. I would love to direct. Um, I think I'm happy to not direct for a while. I think I've many more things to do as an actor. Yes. Yeah. Um, I've many more uh, successes to achieve, and I have many more slaps in the face to, to receive <laughs> before I kind of, yeah, I kind of go, ah, I'll try my hand as a director. Um, I'd love to. I, I, I there's things, there's plays I'd love to direct. There's things I, there's people I'd love to work with. Um, uh, I do see it being in the future, but not now. And do you think it will be over there or over here or both? Um, I th- I would like to think both. I would like to think I would like to think America as well. I would like to think that as an actor, particularly as an actor, whatever but as anything else, as an actor that that I can move like that. I can kind of, you know, and 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 I've done that. I I've I've done um, a bit of work in America, and I've really enjoyed being there, particularly particularly New York. Yeah. Um, but not just New York. Um. England I, because my family are there uh, here because I have family here and because I, I love working here I, I'm really conscious of this as well uh, Angus that oh I left here in 2007 and I do come back and work here you yeah. know and I, but I, you know I'll stick on the computer and I'll look at the Abbey website and, or The Gate or, or Rough Magic or any of these the great companies and um, and, I, and I'm looking at it or, and, I, and there's all these photographs of these people and I haven't a clue who they are Wow, and it's it's it's. I suppose that's a really good thing because there's constantly people coming in, and you know what I mean. I'm looking, I'm, and there's names and cast lists, and I'm going, I have no idea who that is. And I went in to see uh, um, Juno in, in the National. Yeah, and and apart from the old stalwarts yes. and, and a few friends, there's people again. I'm looking, I go, I don't know, I don't know who they are. Right, but I think that's a really good thing. Yeah. But that's only I'm only out of here four years. You know what I mean, but. Since then, there's been all these people who've come in and and established themselves, and and it's great. I think it's wonderful. Well, I know I, the most wonderful thing is that I got to have this chat with you. I'm absolutely delighted to see you first and foremost, but also delighted to have this chat. That's been uh, absolutely brilliant. Cool, really brilliant. appreciate it, man. Over and out. Deadly. <laughs> 
So there it is, the awesome Adol Kelly. Um, I'm just so glad that I got to have the chat with him, got to see him, and that he took the time out of his Christmas holidays being back over in Ireland to come and have the chat to us for the podcast. It's uh, not something he had to do, and, and I really appreciate the fact that he did it. Uh, like I said, he's he's one of the best in the business. He's, he's a really good guy to have around. And so many of my fondest memories of uh, of my life in the in the business so far have been with Ado. Um, I remember every night during that long run of Plowing the Stars, which we did and then brought back again because it had gone well for us, um, every night we, as the three soldiers, would have to go from our pristine, shiny soldier uniforms and get broken down and get all muddied up and whatever else. Um, but every night before, I would go into Ado's dressing room to, to do that mucking up and uh, Pat Leach was uh, was playing um, the other soldier and also Bill Murphy was in that dressing room so I'd go and I would knock on their door every evening in the middle of the show to get in and get dirtied up and they wouldn't let me into their dressing room unless I had a completely useless fact for them um, and we might have done, I don't know, 60, 70, 80 performances of, of Plough together so I had to keep coming up with all these useless facts so I was trawling the internet or finding magazines or little old books that would have things that... Uh, Incredibly useful things that blue whales have uh, blood vessels so wide that you can swim down them. And also that butterflies taste through their feet. There are two that have stuck with me from those early days on Plough. Um, and I just love the relationship I had with those guys and the way that they, they took me under their wing and looked after me and, uh, and smartened me up to a lot of stuff about the business, I have to say. Uh, about how to handle yourself and, and how to go about things. And it's something I'll always be thankful to them for. Um, because it wasn't even just the professional end of things. I mean, I've had great nights out with Aidan, uh, just in personal context. There's one night that stands out in memory of a night at a Declan O'Rourke gig um, when Declan was playing with the RT Concert Orchestra and just myself and Aidan went along because uh, we're both fans. And uh, just wonderful nights like that. He's a, he's a great guy who has really looked after me over the years. And he's a guy who's making serious waves across the water and a guy who's only going to go from strength to strength. And so we uh, we wish him the best. So... There's something I've been looking to try and do on this podcast for the last number of weeks, but have been putting it off for various reasons. And I think now that we're at the end of the year, maybe this is the time to do it. And it's to talk a little bit about the real motivation behind why we're doing this. We have been talking at Rise Productions about creating a podcast for quite some time, but through some of the events of this year, it just brought it into focus for us. And so I just thought maybe it would be a useful thing to talk about that. And one of the main motivating factors was actually just uh, a couple of the deaths that occurred this year within the theatre business. And one of the most poignant for me was being at the funeral of the late, great Phyllis Ryan, um, a renowned actor and, uh, I guess, more prominently a producer. And Phyllis is a woman who maybe younger generations of theatre makers don't know a hell of a lot about, but I was fortunate enough to work with her on quite a few occasions. Uh, and also my family would have had a long history with her. Um, you know, Phyllis was an amazing producer and it's not any exaggeration to say that without her there would not have been a John B. Keane. So she made a huge impact on on the face of Irish theatre and yet I was aware at her funeral that you know an awful lot of younger theatre makers don't know an awful lot about her and I was reminded of the transient nature of what it is that we do that we're, we're not like you know even you know film actors or, or whoever who have this body of work left behind or we're not like writers or painters or novelists or, or whatever who, who who do leave that body behind. We we do what we do while we do it and for any audience member who's lucky enough to be there they get to experience that magic and take it with them for the rest of their lives. But 
after that it's gone and I, I kind of wanted there to be a record of the Irish theatre scene at this time and, and who was there and who was making things happen who was creating brilliant moments of theatre for people and I wanted it to be almost like a little mini time capsule um, that you know we can look back on in years and go oh Jesus did I ever think that or oh wow yeah remember him or whatever just that this is a little record that's there for people and uh and I guess a parallel strand to that, which is a little bit more lighthearted, um, is, as is always the case with me, the influence from pro wrestling. Um, this format for this podcast is unapologetically ripped off start to finish from the format that Colt Cabana uses, who is a, a pro wrestler from Chicago in America, who every week interviews another pro wrestler, just like we're doing on this show here. And it's about giving those guys a platform and a, and a forum to talk about their lives and their careers, very similar to what we're doing here. And the other strand from the pro wrestling end of things is coming from a guy called Zack Ryder, who this time last year, uh, for Christmas, his parents bought him a small little flip camera for him to do whatever he wanted with, and he decided that because he wasn't getting the push he felt he deserved within the big WWE machine, would start this little web series. And uh, it has gone from strength to strength, and it built up this huge fan following and put a huge amount of weight behind what he was doing and the bosses saw it and realized that there was there was money to be made here and uh, as of about 10 days ago I think he became the US champion they've put the belt on him so it's about it's about I guess just saying that you can go out and do things and and you know we were thinking you know what more can we be doing what what other strings to our bow can we add and we thought well look this is an idea we wanted to do and you can sit around forever making excuses as to all the reasons why you can't do it and we don't have the technology and we don't have the expertise and whatever else but there's something about just getting up off your arse and doing it, uh, going out there and making it happen rather than sitting around waiting for it. And so that was a big uh, a big influence on us. And we decided, OK, well, look, let's just, let's just go and do it. Let's go and see, can we do it? And here we are, uh, eight episodes in and uh, and still going strong. So hopefully it's all working out for us. Um, so, look, that brings us to our traditional roundup of what's going on. Again, things are a little quiet over this festive period, um, but the government inspector is still running at the Abbey. Um, Robinson Crusoe and the Caribbean Pirates is still running at the with the brilliant Keith Hanna who I mentioned earlier on who who appeared in our show Tear Down the Walls for the, the theatre festival this year Little Women is still going at the gate um, with the brilliant Marty Ray Cathy Rose O'Brien is in there uh, Jane McGrath is there look there's some solid performers in there that's going to be definitely well worth checking out and finally uh, starting off on the 1st of January brand new for the new year which I think is the changeover for the date of things coming out of copyright from the Joyce estate is Gibraltar at the new theatre which as far as I know is a, an adaptation or a reworking of Ulysses so that's definitely going to be worth a look too so that's it that takes us to the very end of the year the very last podcast of the year thank you so much to you for listening in um, we're really delighted to have you on board do please spread the word tell your friends tweet about it Facebook about it let's get the word out there let's get supporting celebrating and promoting Irish theatre um, so that's us that is episode 8 in the books we will be back next week and indeed next year for another chat with one of Ireland's leading theatre makers we hope you can join us this has been the Rise Productions Irish Theatre Podcast for Angus Og McAnally I'm Angus Og McAnally we'll see you next week Thank you.